It's awesome to see you. All right, thanks for being here. My brother, Shashin Shah, it's so good to see you. You're coming off of a massive ski trip, which we yeah. just talked about. Getting ready for another one. Yep. And, uh, you know, introduce yourself to my, uh, my listeners out there. I mean, I could say incredible things about you, but who are you? Oh my God, it's, uh, who am I? I'm Shashin, got another traveler on this planet. Um, another human being trying to understand and make sense out of this world. How uh, I make my living is, you know, I, I've been privileged as and entrusted as a trusted advisor to an incredible group of people who um, are, you know, I would classify what as high achievers, people who have been to the top of their game and, and, and find me along the way. Um, I would argue that what they, that they're coming to me for is to help them make, you know, more informed and better decisions. That's what I do. Um, and it's everything from business and strategy to personal relationships, communication, leadership styles, and all of that. I love it. I love it. How'd you get started in this? Like, I mean, I know you because, you know, you and my brother are roommates at Colgate and we just, you know, fell for each other. And but like, how did you get started doing this, becoming an advisor to, to high achievers? You're a high achiever yourself. Yeah. I mean, it's a great question. I think that, uh, you know, you know, I grew up in an environment where, you know, I had a family of docs running around. And, and so I grew up with a lot of people around me that were kind of at the top of their game. And I observed a lot. And there was a lot of pressure as a young kid. I mean, I was a kind of classic Indian immigrant's child in, in a suburb of New York. And, uh, you know, th there was an intensity that I grew up with, um, you know, with the two parents as doctors. And I think along the journey, the, how I got to doing what I too, was, it was more of a personal journey for myself. I mean, I was trying to figure out what was going on. I, I, I felt when I was younger, um, you know, being this only, this only Indian kid in, the, in this all Jewish community, I didn't feel like I belonged. I was trying to sort out. I mean, I think now in hindsight, I feel like everyone else was going through that, but it kind of set me off on this journey of trying to figure out how to navigate this world effectively. And I think along the way, an interest in business, an interest in people, an interest in strategy, the way my brain worked. I mean, if I looked at my strengths and my strengths finder, I was just wired a particular way to understand business and finance and strategy. But the other side of it was kind of this human being that was in the system of business. And over time, what I found was the business part was easy. Um, you know, the strategy was easy. Uh, it was a matter of execution and, and part of the execution issue was the people involved. And, you know, and that's what I love about the work that you're doing. And, and, and the, the fact that this conversation is now elevated, I'm, I'm hoping this, this term of FTE gets eliminated from our vernacular, like, you know, we're, we're part-time equivalents or full-time equivalents as human beings and how we produce. But that's how I got started. And, you know, it was honestly, I, I hung a shingle and named my company Coherent Strategies and uh, started working with this, you know, my initial group of people. And um, it kind of took off. It was a referral. It just became this referral network. It's like, you should go talk to Shashin. Well, what does he do? I don't know. Just talk to him. You'll either get it or you won't. And it'll either work or it won't. And that's how it started. And it's been going now 20 plus years now. And it's been fantastic. It's amazing. It is so great. I love it. You know, you hang a shingle and, and you said something that's really funny. It's like, go talk to Shashin. What does he do? Yeah, I don't know. Just go talk to him. I get that. I 
totally. How do you explain this? You know, they want ROI. They want, you know, they, they want to understand what the outcomes are. And I'm like, you know, I feel like people are leaving so much money on the table. And you know this. I mean, this is the work that you do. It's like, you know, what's the difference between an employee that's like sleepwalking and clock punching versus like someone who's truly inspired where creativity is flourishing, right? How do you quantify that? It's very hard to do up front. But those who get it, though, they get it now. I mean, yeah. I love the fact that that conversation is really there on the forefront. Yeah, it's amazing. Let me ask you this. Why, why do we humans get in our own way? What do you think? It's huge you know, zillion dollar question, but I think like, what, what do you think fundamentally gets, is, is blocking us from going from good to great and great to exceptional? So, so I, I mean, the way in which I talk about it is I think it's just emotional survivability, right? So there's a lot of studies about the biology, the brain and the limbic system and the amygdala and how we go into this fight, flight or freeze, right? And all of that mechanism and how we take in data through our five senses kind of goes through that process. And I think that what I've seen for myself, what I've seen for others, and you know, philosophers have talked about this for years. I mean, you have to go to Hegel, you go to all of these, just the early existentialists. There is this crisis of being human and being in the eyes of another person. And I think that we're just trying to emotionally survive everything. We're, we're trying to look good. We're trying to gain admiration. We're trying to, to um, I mean, even right now, right? There's a part of my brain that's operating. It's like, make sure you use the right words. Make sure you say it the right way. Make sure you look good. Make sure you're smiling. Make sure you're looking at the camera. I mean, that voice inside our head is incessant. So I think that people deal with that part of the human experience in a variety of different ways. And there, what I've observed is that there's some people who can navigate it really, really well and present really, really well and appear to have it under control and have it together that will go out and achieve and will go out and accomplish things. And then there's some of us out there that are a little bit more sensitive, they get hooked by it, get confused by it, get self-conscious by it, that haven't developed the skill sets to navigate. And I think that's, for me, the piece that I've been really focusing in on and, and the work that I've been doing is that I don't wanna create adaptive strategies to like hide that part of me. I want that to just be able to be out there and coexist in the world and just be okay with it. And I think that, that this, this adversarial relationship that we have with that part of ourselves is responsible for a lot of the reasons why we end up pulling back, we retract, we fight, we fight, we, we'll, we'll actually, we'll flee and we'll, we'll freeze in a lot of cases and we'll, we'll not take that risk. We'll recoil from that opportunity to raise our hand or to put out a body of work or be vulnerable in some kind of way because we want to keep it together. Yeah. So many gems in there. I mean, so many gems. I think that one thing that you hit on that we know is reality is that we care so much about what people think of us. And, you know, you know, I've got a two-year-old and I, I look at her and she has no care about what anyone thinks of her other than herself, which is phenomenal. And I hope that lasts her the next 100 years. I really do. And we know that along the way, something will happen and something happens yep. where all of a sudden we are presented with someone who says, ooh, 
or ah, I like you, I don't like you, I don't like the way you look, you talk funny, you don't dance right, you dance great. And all of these things start to come into our essence at a very young age. Yes. And then what, and really what you were saying is eventually, and we know this to be true, we get triggered. Someone in, in 20 years is gonna to say to my dear daughter, something that triggers her back to a moment in time where she was skiing and she stumbled. Yes. Or she was rock climbing and she didn't grab it. And it, it will come straight back because it we're proof in the pudding. It's the tr it's the trigger, you know, and that's really what you were talking about the trigger, which then, you know, all of a sudden we're fight, flight, freeze, fight, flight, flee, you know. But talk to me a little bit about like, you know, this relationship we have to we'll just call it to suffering a little bit, the soup that we we sit in. Yeah. Oh my God. You kind of, that's, I mean, it's perfect. So, you know, one of the premises that I've like just kind of come to over the years is that I think that we underestimate the extent to which our past, those little experiences going back to our childhood are affecting us in our modern day world. And I mean, I've heard everything from like horrific traumatic pain and suffering from like sexual abuse to violence to, you know, dad didn't come home one night because he got fired and, you know, the kid didn't get ice cream and the guy ended up becoming a multimillionaire because of that one instance. And, you know, I think the, the reason why my clients would argue that they keep me around is that it's because there's an understanding of how we kind of got to be the way we are today. And really understanding that, I don't know. I mean, it's, <laughs> one of my mentors said to me, he's like, you know, Shashin, you're just not that interesting, right? And I was like, what do you mean, what, what do you mean you're not that interesting? Like, how much do I pay you? Anybody, but his, his point was brilliant, right? He was like, look, He's like, yeah, so you're like the immigrant's doc, two doctor's son. You grew up in Scarsdale, New York. And, you know, poor little kid, you know, got made fun of because he wasn't Jewish. And you came in with a 99 on his exam and his dad got upset because he didn't know what got wrong. Yeah, I got it, right? You didn't belong and it's not good enough and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, you know, that, that kind of is running your life, you know, and, and, and you're taking things so personally. You're you're looking at the world through this lens of like having to be, right? So, so there's beauty in the simplicity and then there's the complexity of like recognizing the depths of those emotional wounds. So yeah, that suffering, that, that, that repetition, I think part of the work is, you know, and I think, you know, it's the world of like patterns, right? What he was saying to me, which, which really kind of stuck with me, it's like, the goal in my mind would be to know yourself so well, know those stories, know the skiing story, know the 99% story, know you raised your hand in class, or know that that part of you is just sitting right there and is so available to you in any situation. And, and, and it's, you know, what I'm, what I find at some point, it's like, it's, it's, it, it's, it's so predictable. It almost gets boring, right? It's like, Oh, there it is again, right? So the work in my mind is to, to, to 
to be so familiar with that in a way that you understand the conditions, the situations, the tonalities, the language, the environment, your body, whether you're hungry, tired, whatever it might be, and the conditions under which that part of you is going to show up. Does that like this? Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. Yeah, self-awareness. I mean, yeah. and I, guess, yeah. and I, don't, I don't mean to be like, oh, yeah, self-awareness. Let's move on. Like, right. hello, self-awareness is going to happen today, tomorrow, yesterday, or the last breath that we take. I hope. I hope by that time. But I would add one thing. So I think that self-awareness for me has been, my experience with it over the years has been this kind of self-awareness hell. Like I've done like, I, you know, like since I was a kid, I mean, I walked over cold with Tony Robbins in 1989. I mean, before that, I was like in therapy as a kid and always got ADHD. And he, you know, there was all of these different things where I had labels and I was, it was known and the immigrant story and my dad's story. It's like almost ad nauseum. Like I was acutely aware of all of the different things and all of the rationale. I mean, I've went to, you know, teachers and, and, you know, retreats and, and you know, these, these weekend experiences. I mean, even up until my adulthood, I've gone and done all of these different workshops. And self-awareness, I think the, the only caveat to self-awareness is if the expectation is somehow through self-awareness, it's going to go away. And I think that that's the missing piece because it's not really popular in the self-help industry to say like, hey, listen, I'm gonna make you aware of this. And you're gonna be dealing with this for the rest of your life. Like people want the quick fix. People yeah. want to get, it's over now. I got this part of me, this, this voice goes away. Somehow it's numbed out. Oh, I'm not gonna feel that again. I'm not gonna go there again. I wanna flip the conversation and be like, no, 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 no. Get ready. What's inevitable is this week I'm gonna get triggered. And I know my triggers. I know what they're gonna be. I'm gonna feel insecure about something. Finances are gonna start looping me around. I'm not gonna feel good. Enough. I mean, so knowing yourself that way, knowing that what's coming is an opportunity for that to get resolved once again. And that's just what you're gonna have to deal with in life. That's really the essence of it for me. That's amazing. I love it. I love that you flipped that because you're right. They're all, the voices are always gonna be there unless like you said, unless you numb them away or you're finally like, all right, here are the five triggers and one just actually just went away because I've chosen to never rock climb again. Yes. Never, I'm never gonna put myself in that type of position, which is, which is not what we want. We wanna live a fulfilled life. And an expansive one, right? Yeah. Like, so it's like, is this thought constricting my point of view and my ability to be in the world or is it expanding my ability to go yeah. to the world? Yeah, you can say, I don't like dogs. I don't like fish because I got, I, you know, ate bad fish one time. I, I don't, I mean, you have all of these preferences. And I think that at least the way I like to like live my life is to be really engaged and to be able to be free out there to go experience and do all of these different things. And it's just funny over time, we kind of, the walls kind of come in and we get more and more comfortable and like, oh, I'm 50. I mean, I can't start a new career, but there's actually no logic to that at all. Right. I mean, you're just as capable. Yeah. Oh my God. Even more so. Yeah, right, more, right, to your point, absolutely, more so. Yeah. So that's the stuff I think that's on the table in the discovery and to know oneself in that way. Uh, uh, you know, a quick, quick I, where this came from for me was years ago, I watched that movie, A Beautiful Mind. I, you know the movie uh, with John Nash, the mathematician, and he's got multiple personalities or he's just schizophrenic, right? So 
in that movie, the punchline in that movie hit me like a ton of bricks because it shows him, you know, with this debilitating three voices, those three characters, it wrecks his life. He gets, you know, his, he gets married, it wrecks the marriage, he's got this baby, and then finally gets so bad, he's like, I'm gonna put myself on medication. He puts himself on medication, and this is not whether you should be on medication, not medication, mental health, it's way out of my league. But the metaphor is interesting, is that he ultimately wants to get off the meds because he's like literally sitting there like an automaton on this porch smoking cigarettes and doing nothing, and he's this brilliant mind. And so what does he do? He goes on what he calls a diet of the mind. And he learns the fact that these voices cannot be real. And his breakthrough was, boy, that little girl, you know, the little girl in the character, the little, uh, the little girl is one of the characters. She's like, by logic, that woman should be about 20 some odd years old by now. And she's not. And therefore, those voices in my head are not real. And therefore, I should not pay attention to them and take action on them. And so what does he do? He develops a new relationship with the voices that are in his head and goes on to normalize his life with those voices around, they never go away. Yeah. And then the punchline at the end of the movie after he wins this like lifetime achievement award is like his, uh, I think it was the Dean of Students goes to him. He's like, so John, you know, how's it going? And the three voices pop up. And, you know, John Nash kind of does a little nod to them, like acknowledges the fact that they're there and like holds his white pan and they walk off into the sunset. And it was just like, the voices hadn't gone away. Yeah. His relationship to the voices had changed. Yeah. And I think that's the work really. If that, if I, I were to just say there's one thing that I would love for the listeners or anybody out there to hear is like, the work is developing a new relationship with that side of yourself. That's really what it comes down to. That's beautiful. That's such a great movie. I need to go watch it again. Oh, I'm telling you. And, and, and I tried Googling it. I'm like, does anyone talking about the metaphor about changing the world? And it's like, no, it's just, you know, it's just this thing. But clients of mine, like friends of mine, they also like they rewatched it like, oh my God, I feel like, yeah, like that's what's going on. Yeah, I'm going to watch it tonight. I am. <laughs> Easy over here. No, but in the best way, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it is brilliant. There's so many things I want to ask you about. Yeah. First thing I want to do is I really want to touch on your new book and the title. Yeah. You know, I mean, like the kid, the kid and the king. What what is the kid? Who is the king? Tell us more about the book. Okay. So the title of the book, the working title right now is "The Kid and the King: The Hidden Inner Struggle High Achievers Must Conquer." in order to re-engage and reignite life, right? And so the idea is the, this juxtaposition of the kid and the king was my way of dealing with this duality, like, right? So the book could have been called Why Do Really Smart People Do Dumb Things, right? Like, like I, I just couldn't figure out on one hand, I knew myself to this, be this very bright, capable individual. And then on the other hand, I found myself to be this incredibly self-sabotaging, just train wreck at times. And, you know, acting out in ways that were completely against my self-interest, losing my mind in arguments, getting super emotional and getting really upset about things. And, and I couldn't deal with like, how could both be true? And so part of the, the analysis in my head, like kind of piecing together psych 101 and philosophy and various different teachers and meditation practice was like, well, what if there's just this, both parts can coexist at the same time? What if, what if there is this kind of 
childlike version of me that comes out predictably in this need to emotionally survive. So when I find myself in a situation where people are, you know, I'll always be intimidated. People will be better looking or more wealthy or more powerful. My first reaction is going to be like, I don't belong there. Or, you know, if I'm in a situation where there's whatever, just people that are quote unquote bigger, more important, more successful, there's that part of me that will come out that will want to emotionally survive. So Today, I know that. And I know when I walk in a certain situation, when I go up on stage, when I go to a new client, when I go to a new client meeting, that little kid inside of me, that's like, don't, don't be careful, right? It, it's, that, it's that survival and say, that part of me wants to run, wants to hide, wants to, will we'll sabotage certain things. And back in the day, it can look like that. It can look like addictions. It can look like all kinds of things, a way to kind of cap off the, the risk factor or putting myself out there. So. That is the nature of the book. And, and the idea is to come to understand how you got to where you were. What are the components? What are the stories? What is the wiring of your survival instincts? And understanding them. And then from that place, you know, how do you look forward and create from, you know, from, from a place of, not the past, but from a, where do I want to go? And I think that quite frankly, it's a really hard question. The three questions I ask in, in, in coaching are like, what do you want? Why do you want it? And what are you willing to do to get it? And I'm telling you, that's probably the hardest three questions I've ever had to ask myself or even my clients to have to answer is because there is so much within that answer that if not carefully examined is coming from some level of trying to put ourselves up in this place that will allow us to be in some ways, I mean, I would argue it's some kind of overcompensation mechanism, right? That we're trying to achieve something in this world. So then how do you achieve without overcompensating? Well, it's coming to peace with that, kind of creating some outcomes, doing things because it makes us happy you know, doing things because if we find joy in it. I mean, those words, I didn't, I don't think I grew up with an idea that said, what would bring you more joy, Shashin? Like, what would, what would make you really happy? Well, what would make me happy and bring me more joy would be like people respecting me, loving me and thinking I was the, I mean, that was the, the limited thinking. So, the kid represents that world and this king, this queen, there's this, there's, you know, again, the, the kid and the king is the kid and the queen. It just, the kid and the king just happened to be the title, but it's this kind of grace. There's this elegance, there's this calm, there's this, this place that we get. And, you know, maybe it's the wisdom to know the difference in the serenity prayer. It's that somewhere in that realm. I think that we're, I think that I at least am striving for that that I feel that is important. So that's the idea is how do we reconcile this duality? And part of the reconciliation is allowing both to coexist, allowing that kid to be right there, patting him on the shoulder and be like, what's up little buddy, I got you, we got this, the king's here. And you know, in the book, there's a bunch of exercises to kind of call that out, bring it forward, do some work around it. It's really, it's, uh, I think it's the most loving thing that you can do for yourself. I love, love, love it. And, you know, you may not remember this, but I will say 10, 12 years ago, we had a quick conversation. I was dealing with something, you know, dilemma in my life, a relationship dilemma. 
Um, and in a nutshell, you shared with me, you know, you said, name, name that little girl. I gave her some name. It was not, it was not Claude. It was not my middle name, Amanda. Totally different name. You know, make peace with her. You said, put her in the back of the bus, yeah. put her your iPad, and you are the queen, and you are driving that bus. And I remember that to this day, 10, 12 years ago, probably at least. I forgot that we had that conversation. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And it was, it was that simple that I still use it. And I'm not saying like, okay, it was gone, but I still remember. I would say if not daily, I remember that at least a few times a week that she's in the backseat and she's cool. And she's got pretzels. She's got popcorn. She's got everything she needs. Totally. I'm here for her, but I took over. The queen took over. Big me took over. Yeah. And it doesn't go away. I mean, the kid got me up this morning. I'm like, I didn't sleep enough today. I got to get this thing. I got to get packed. I gotta, we got this, we got to do this, this call today. <laughs> It's It's just like, ah, yeah. It's constant, but I love the, the, what what you're saying is the duality, the relationship. We're making, and I don't even know if it's making peace with the relationship. We're just calling it what it is. There's a relationship between our younger self, that little, for me, a very brat, very chicken, and me, my big self, who's like, you know, taking names. And it comes out in with the people that we we have the greatest you know, vested interest in in a relationship, right? With our loved ones, with our family, with our intimate partners, like at work with our coworkers, with our bosses, like right. It's like when we're so like vulnerable, right? When we have this vested interest, it that's where it comes out. And and I think going back to that idea of self-awareness, right? I think another thing that I remember hearing from one of my mentors was like, look, Shashin, you know, you've got this great mind. You've got, you, you've got this ability to articulate the stuff really well. He's like, but, you know, awareness isn't going to cut it. He's like, it's time to be responsible for that part of you. And that, I think, has been probably the biggest yeah. Where, where the work is, is what is being responsible for that duality within us? about and what does that look like on a day-to-day basis what is what is knowing that i've got this loaded gun on my hip that if i don't holster put the safety on and make sure it can freaking just off the hip out of the blue some and well not out of the blue i would say predictably could show up but if i'm not responsible for it it's just gonna go off my instincts my knee-jerk reaction my default my my automatic response system We'll just fire that off and often to my detriment and the other person's detriment, not really consistent with an outcome driven king, someone who is calm, someone who walks with grace, with, with ease, with joy. Like that's a different conversation than crush it, go out there, conquer, go do whatever. It's a different realm. So. Yeah. I love it. I love it. And you know, it's, I was, you just said something that I'm, I'm so glad you did because what I was going to say in the realm of self-awareness, and I love that you talked about a self-awareness hell, thousand percent, been there, done that, can go there very easy, easily. But the level of self-compassion and self-forgiveness is something that I think we need to, like, we need to be chugging that water, like chugging that water because we don't. I don't know if we know, we, and I'm talking the general, we know how to yet 
like like ourselves yes. and be okay with whatever. Like I just did a post the other day on burnout and like burnout is real and I'm in the working world and it is, it is real. It doesn't matter if you're 23, 54, you got kids, you don't have kids, you're living alone. It's COVID. You haven't touched another person like intimately in a while. Like we're on zoom all single day, but like the fact is I can admit the fact that I get burnt out too. And what do I do about that? I have to find my own solace and my own way to admit that first and foremost, as a high achiever, come to peace with that, you know, it's okay, Claude, and then do something about it. What's going to fuel me? And I don't always have the answer and I don't always know. And it literally could be like looking out the window for 10 minutes. I don't know, but like that idea of it's okay. We have to find we have to, I, I believe we, there has to be a softening in all of this understanding so that we can say, okay, little girl, it's okay to go sit in the backseat. Like, not, not like get in the backseat. Like, you're good. I got you. You know, tell me something. Tell me about that. Like, oh, that's right. I mean, I think you just nailed it. I mean, so many people, like when, I, when we, when we'll, you know, when I'm working with a client and they're new to this and we start going through it, they're like, I just want to kill that kid. I want to strangle the kid. When, when I bring the awareness of the two different parts of them, they're just like, holy shit, this is everywhere. I mean, it's everywhere in my life. It's, it's all over the place. And so, yeah, I mean, there's so much in what you said. I mean, it, I, I do really believe that, you know, I think, how do I say this? This idea of creating self-compassion and self-love, I think that that is at the core of the work, right? Because the moment we're able to see that about ourselves, the, our Genesis story, how we got to be the way we are, how, why we do the things that we do, the mechanism that's at work, and we, we kind of categorize the mechanism as a human experience, you then have more oxygen in the room to look at others and ask the question, I wonder, you know, what are the conditions under which this person would show up in my life this way? Like, I wonder what's going on there. You become a lot more curious about other people when you have the ability to kind of go there yourself. And I think it's a lifelong journey. I don't think there's a there's an end point of like self-love. I don't think there's an end point um, until you die. I think we're we're constantly in a this idea of like self-care, this this idea of of self-awareness, this idea of um, I think when you said like, you know, you're not, you're not getting the back of the bus, but like, oh my God, there you are, sweetheart. Like you would never um you know, Marianne Williamson did a great talk on this about relationships. And she was talking about this idea of, you know, a spiritual relationship of like two people in love and why they come together. And she mentioned this idea of, you know, if, if a child came to you with a wound on their hand and they cut their hand, would you slap that child and tell them to go away? I'm like, what the hell are you doing with that wound? Like, how dare you? How dare you show me your wound? Right? And, I, and she, she does this talk about in relationships and in intimate relationships that some of what's going on for two people is that our wound shows up, our thing, our hurt shows up at those moments where we get triggered, when we display not the best version of ourselves. So for you to be on the other side in the world and watching other people's wounds be exposed all day long, I mean, it seems like in the work that we do, we get to see that. It's like, 
to meet that with the level of curiosity and to meet that with the level of compassion, right? To get there, you've got to be able to see that for yourself first. Yeah. You know, and there's that's so many ways to get there, but yeah, I mean, yeah. that's that's the work. That's it. That's totally, totally it. So let's it, let's go around to the last part of, of the subtitle of your book, which talks yeah. about re-engaging and reigniting. Yeah. So are you saying, because I, I think this is what you're saying, that when you do this work, when you're brave enough to step up and say, hey, I'm interested in looking at who this is, who's talking to me on my shoulder, yeah. giving her, you know, a, a, a box of popcorn and an apple, getting her in the backseat, she's good. And so the big me, the queen can step up. Are you, is, is your, your premise that you do that and you can be, you can get reignited. You can find fulfillment. Yes, 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 yes. And so when people find me, right? When the people end up in my world these are people, first of all, if they can afford me, right? Like they've done something really well. Like these kinds of like, my clients have climbed the ladders, they've rung the bell. Yeah. And I always say, I'm like, I want you to feel as good as your, as your, as your resume looks, right? I mean, the, the joy, the satisfaction and fulfillment that should accompany their titles and what they've accomplished in their life, their experience of themselves, their experience of what they've achieved is a mismatch, right? And so what, what inevitably comes up is, I don't know, the way I'd characterize it, it's almost like there, you know, and again, this is the non-scientific explanation, but it's almost as if like this crisis is created when we were children about being good enough and lovable and trying to get you know, the admiration of others. And so in our 20s, we get out of school, we go to work, we put our heads down, we go to graduate school, we just charge, 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 we crush it, you know, we go out there. And basically, I think biologically for men, we're just pounding our chest and trying to be the strong person, successful people are just trying to elevate themselves within the societal structure. And, you know, from, I would say not most of us, I think for the high achieving, whatever you want to call it, I mean, it sounds so obnoxious, but whatever, anybody who's producing results, right? What, what's true is that they've somehow subjugated that part of themselves that's insecure, not what they've, they've, they've developed a strategy that works. And that strategy is like, put it aside. You've heard of compartmentalization. You, you've heard of just, just suck it up we become good boys or good girls, or the other side of it is like the F you's, I'll show you. And there's this fuel that drives people into their twenties and thirties. And then you find your maid, you get married, you have kids, again, broad generalizations. But at a certain point, you kind of climb up and you look around and you just kind of go, okay, now what? You know, this idea of a midlife crisis, I think has to do with the fact that the fuel that got you to where you are it's not gonna be the fuel that's gonna get you to that next level. And it is a crisis. It truly is a crisis because when you, I mean, one of my clients, cause like I've been a dancing monkey my whole life. I mean, I just go on and like someone winds me up, I do my thing and I'm really good at it. And I get paid really well to perform. And somehow there's a group of us out there that get lost in that conversation and performing is no longer satisfying. Yep. 
And so what's next? Well, that's the idea. When you start to understand your decision-making has been rooted in some of this old kind of wiring that comes back from way, way long ago, stuff about moms and dads and uncles and teachers and football coaches and mentors from when we were young, fueling all of your success, there is this question of like, well, who am I? What do I want? What do you want? Why do you want it? And what are you willing to do to get it? Becomes a, a very tough question to answer. I know it was true for me. I mean, I didn't know. I was like, I just want people to like me. I just want to get along. I want to make some money. I want my dad to be proud of me. I want the world to just say, hey, he's a good man. You know, he's a good guy. I mean, I, you know, I want to, I want to make a million dollars. I want to, I want to change the world. I mean, even the do-gooders, right? Even the people that are out there for social justice. I mean, there's a certain element when you break it on down, it's still to get this admiration. So at some point, and again, none of this is bad. It's not good, bad, right, wrong. This yeah. is just, you, it's just an understanding of the dynamic that goes on. And so if you can come to grips with that, re-engaging and reigniting with life assumes that you burnt out your rider fuel. So what's your new fuel? Yeah. Well, you start to look around and you start to say, what brings me joy? What, what can I do? What do I want? Well, before you get there, you got to do some cleanup, you know, and we got to go through aisle six and pick up all the pieces that we left in the <laughs> wake and the relationships and, and look at and examine some of that stuff. So anyway, yeah, that's that's it. You know, you just said something that's so, um, I missed it until you said it, which is, you know, when you're talking about reigniting, you're already, you're out of the fuel. Yeah. You gotta find where you're gonna get that propane tank. It's gonna come from within, but it's gonna come from a different, potentially a different part of where the first propane tank came from or be motivated completely in a different place. Yeah, I love that metaphor, though, of reigniting, which means like, oh, yeah, I'm out of fuel. I need to like, ching, I need to go find that other, you know, canister. Well, and we see it. I mean, I see it all the time. It's like you look at people who like, you know, are workaholics and they're busy and all that. Why? Well, you know, a lot of, you know, I'll tell you the biggest place that where people suffer on relationships, right? Emotional intimacy gets lost in so much of this, right? Because when we're out there, trying to achieve, trying to connect, trying to conquer, trying to crush it. The quality of our intimate relations, but at least the clients that find me in my life, my experience has been, they end up suffering because you know what we have, the mechanism for the feedback loops that we have for feeling good about ourselves, especially if you're in business, if you're a doctor, if you're a lawyer, you, you go to work and by the time you're our age, you're a leader somewhere. You do, you've, done, you've, done, you've done good and people look up to you. People are looking to you for answers. People are looking for, you know, they're, they're looking to you for validation. And then what do we do? We go home and we're on par and we don't get that kind of like same kind of reverence. We don't get that same kind of feeling. And, and so there's this disconnect that happens where, gosh, at work, and in these relationships in, in the office and, and, and outside the world, people admire me. Well, why aren't you admiring me? Why? And, and it gets very confusing. It gets very troubling. And we, we it, it's a feeling of, I, I would argue, it's, you end up alone. You end up, I would say that the, the most common characteristic or experience of life that clients have come to me with is they feel misunderstood. They don't feel seen. They're the last to know 
they, you know, they, they feel like they've got the best intent that's never really recognized themselves. And you're like, oh my God, look at, I mean, I can't believe that that's your experience of the world. I mean, you're so successful. I don't get it. Right. And they kind of end up in this isolated bubble that looks really, really great. But it just, I don't know, there's a disconnect there. So. Yeah. yeah, we need more of you for sure. And we just, we need, I believe we need, we need more, you know, self-compassion, self-forgiveness and, and, and empathy also for what, what we're going through, but also really what others are going through because, and you know, there's this, everyone, every poet has talked about it in some way, shape or form, like, you know, be careful what you think about other people. We never know what they're, you know, we never know their journey, that type of thing. And so I, I think we can't be too quick to, you know, oh, empathy is an overused buzzword. Like empathy is, is a feeling, but the way that comes into life is through compassion and kindness. And I think it, it's, it's something that takes work, right? Like it, you have to generate that. Like for me, it doesn't come naturally to just sit and listen empathetically to somebody. It doesn't come naturally for me to come to somebody with a level of compassion. Like I have to like want to, and I have to like make a decision to, in those interactions, to be compassionate. It's an action. It's like, I have to be, empathetic like it's not an, it doesn't come natural and to most of my clients it's not a natural phenomenon I mean I think some people are wired that way and they 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 can it's it's more easy it comes more easily for them but I will argue that like for me it's it is a daily practice of which I'm good at some days other days I'm not you know just walk you know I mean there are moments where and, and I can I think that's, to me, that's the tell. The idea of engaged with life is how engaged am I willing to be? Okay. Am I willing to just at the checkout line acknowledge this person that's wearing this mask behind the shield that she's working there and thanking them? That's not natural to me. That's not a natural habit. I actually have to decide. I actually have to consciously in the car make it like, okay, I'm going to engage with my environment. I'm going to engage with the people in my life. And I think that is yeah. what makes life interesting. That's what makes life fulfilling. And I don't think it's natural. So I don't want people to walk away from this like, oh yeah, I just have compassion and love and kumbaya. It's like, no, think about the times that you've been in that situation and the fulfillment that came with that. It's very selfish to some degree, right? It really becomes like, I feel really good and I want to feel really good. I want to feel better and better. Well, that, that's going to the gym every day, sometimes three, four times a day to be able to build that muscle. So yeah. that was the only thing I'd add to that. No, I, I totally, totally agree. And it's, I'm so glad you added that because for me, uh, I naturally skew empathy. I naturally, skew, that's a, a very, that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's my resting place, you know? For me, I might have to be in the car and psych myself up a different way. Right. You know, but like holding space for someone that, that I'm very, I'm very fortunate that that emanates through me, but there are tons of other things I need to flex, you know? And I think some, one thing that you said that was so 
killer is about vulnerability. In order to do any of this work, and vulnerability, you know, it sounds soft. It's not soft. You have to be willing to just be like, yeah, this, these three things are not going well in my life and these 18 things are going great, but like these three things really matter and I need to step up to the plate and say, I want more emotional intimacy. I want more of this with my children. I want this, this, and you have to engage with, you know, whether or not you can do it yourself, great, that's fantastic, but oftentimes it's engaging with someone that can reflect back to you. Totally. Yeah. yeah. You know, you, um, I, we're, we're close to wrapping up, but you just said something about, you know, uh, engaging with the woman with the mask behind the screen, uh, behind the shield at like a Trader Joe's or something. And, you know, you know, you knew my Nana quite well. And one of the things I talk about all the time is Nana, no matter where we were, and today she would do it tenfold if we were behind masks, she would say, John, because John would have a name tag on, or Trader Joe's or whatever. Yes. Would you do me a favor and have a peaceful day? Oh, that's so nasty. Like, that was just her way of being it emanated through her. And one of the things you said that I want to really like, yes, I want to, you know, say, I, I, I double that is it makes us feel good. For those of us that have that, of course it makes me feel good to be more generous. Of course it makes me feel, I don't want to, not here for me. Like I want to give that out. And I think in many ways, even though you said like, you know, that empathetic gene might not be your first, second or third card that you pull, you still want to be able to provide that to other people. We do as humans, we do. It comes out in different ways. You know, when you said that, it just struck me. It's like, it probably is the first thing I want to do, right? But it's like, there's so much stuff that's stacked on top of that. It's like that, it's, but if I'm not responsible for that, if I'm not ready to like pull away all of my selfish, narcissistic thoughts about God knows what in futures that haven't even occurred yet, like if I'm not conscious, if I haven't meditated that day, if I haven't quieted myself, if I haven't looked out at nature, if like I haven't done that stuff, yeah. the likelihood is I'm probably not gonna be as engaged and, and, and have that, and, I, and this is the key, that experience of life. That's what it is. It's an experience of life. Yeah. Because I'm telling you, my God, the people that I work with, I mean, my goodness, you, you, I, I, I still have them on pedestals. I mean, they're, they're incredible human beings doing great things. But if you hear their experience of life sometimes, it's like, wow, I don't know if I trade places someday. Yeah, yeah, totally. I think that's at the core of this work and in the work that you're doing, Claude. And I love, love, love that you're, you're just bringing all of these conversations to the forefront. It's so needed. It's so, mm, I love it. Thank you. All right, before we close out, I would love to know how you would explain or define emotional optimism. So, you know, let's just take out what emotional optimism isn't, right? It's not some Pollyanna, let's sprinkle magical fairy dust on stuff and just like pretend like problems don't exist. I think emotional optimism to me, like is a decision to be responsible for the, 
the interpretations of a world, the world that we live in, the data that's coming in and being responsible for this, in my language, the kid and the king and the duality and, and live inside rather than the fear and the survivability and emotional survival that we kind of tend towards to make a choice, to, to, to develop a new relationship with the world, to develop a new relationship with, with discomfort, with things that don't feel good as an, as an opportunity to like, I don't know, to learn, to develop, to grow, to, to, to kind of go through the world with a little bit of more curiosity rather than an automatic conclusion about, oh God, it's, you know, imp- I mean, it seems like impending doom is one option and like positivity is another, right? And somewhere in between there is just like a level of just like, hey, you know, let's, let's put this into perspective. You know, I, I think that's what I would say it is. I love it. Yeah. I can't, I'm so, I thank you for spending time with me and, and everyone else. We're going to do it again. I know. We're going to do it again. Yeah. Thanks. Bye. Thanks, buddy. Bye.